You're listening to Just 1% of the Guys, where this time out, Dave and I discuss how devious JR and Bobby are, and how whorish Alexis and Sammy Joe are. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode number 116 of Just 1% of the Guys, a Dallas Dynasty podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name is Sean Ingle. I am J. David Weeder. And it's our job on the show to give you coverage, synopses, and our own personal musings about the two greatest nighttime soap operas ever to be produced, the deviously delightful Dallas and the dramatically daring Dynasty. Alliteration, it's fun. And this week, we're going to be covering the shows that came out the week of December 26th of 1982, starting with David's coverage of episode 116 of Dallas, a little show entitled Mama Dearest. It's a solid episode. I think I think people are in for a treat with this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying the Dallas episodes, uh, a little bit more so than, of course, the Dynasty episodes, which I'm going to be covering this time out. And Dynasty episode this time is entitled Samantha. Blake comes through with his search for his dead gay son, Stephen. Uh, Alexis is going to act like a whore, which is really no surprise, and the ever-hot Heather Locklear as the titular Samantha will drop a bombshell that no one was expecting. It's so much soapiness that Tyler Durden himself would be able to stop stealing leftover liposuction waste to continue his soap manufacturing business or his explosive schemes. You decide. But before we get to all of this, we're going to take a quick break, plug a couple of promos for some other podcasts you should be listening to, and when we get back, it's off to Dallas for David's look at uh, Dallas. I should script these out better. That was actually funny, though. <laughs> that worked as a good gag. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's, it's my Daredevil, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Guy Gardner podcast. I got a fast connection, so I don't have to wait. For Guy Gardner podcasts. There's always some new site. For Guy Gardner podcasts. I browse all day and night. For Guy Gardner podcasts. It's like I'm surfing at the speed. 
for Guy Gardner Podcasts. The Internet is for Guy Gardner Podcasts. The Internet is for And sometimes Kyle Rayner Podcasts. Why you think the net was born? Guy Gardner Podcasts. Just One of the Guys is a weekly internet radio show dedicated to bringing you reviews, commentary, and a heartfelt defense of the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the two Earth-based Green Lanterns who always seem to get dumped on. Over the next several years, I will be covering the Green Lantern books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004. I'll also be covering the Guy Gardner solo series, as well as any other media that catches my fancy. The show can be found on iTunes by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, or by going to the website justoneofthegays.libsyn.com. So be sure to tune in every Friday for a fun-filled look at the Green Lantern Corps, hosted by me, Sean Ingall. It's just as enjoyable as the search for the subject that this song is actually about. Just one of the guys. Just one of the guys does not officially certify that this podcast is more enjoyable than pornography. All right, we are back to cover the season six episode "Mama Dearest," which was the thirteenth episode of the season. It was directed by our own Patrick Duffy. And written by Arthur Bernard Lewis. Air date on this was December 31st, 1982. And essentially the breakdown goes thus. Bobby reluctantly sides with J.R. when Miss Ellie threatens court action to contest Jock's will. Cliff and the cartel discuss how to beat J.R.'s cut-rate gasoline prices. Pam decides to support Miss Ellie in the fight to overturn Jock's will. Bobby and J.R. tell Miss Ellie they oppose her plans. J.R. gains media spotlight with his gasoline prices. Donna meets with resistance from the Energy Commission members when she tries to withdraw JR's oil variants, and Cliff completely and totally ignores the hot Afton's desire for marriage. Schmuck. And Bobby <laughs> confronts Pam about her siding against with whoops. Bobby confronts Pam about her siding against him with regards to Jock's will. And that's the basic run of the episode. Yeah, I love this episode. You know, we're coming in right in from the storyline of last episode with uh, the barbecue and the fallout from all of that. And I love the way it starts, uh, uh, you know, just basically coming off of that. I, I, you know, I keep mentioning this in every episode, but I still have to say, uh, I love the Dallas theme song. It is just really such an iconic theme and it just gets in your head. I can't, I can't imagine the show. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's one of those classic theme songs that you get in shows that just open it up that uh, just suck you into it. So I really enjoy listening to the theme song. Every time I hear it, you know, listening to it, it's just fun. It gets stuck in my head for about two days out of the week when I'm working on notes for this show. So, <laughs> uh, why don't you go ahead and we'll mix up some notes. Why not? Yep. Well, as I mentioned, Patrick Duffy is behind the camera, which means, well, Patrick Duffy gets a chance to chew a scene and man, does he chew it. Oh, yes. That that scene where he's talking to Pam about uh, his desire to be, you know, to, just his his drive and his determination to try and be the best that he can and his fight against J.R. that he was never considered to be the best in the eyes of Jock. You know, the fact that he has to fight all this time and he really does a great job. In fact, the, some of the performances in, in this episode are some of the best I've seen. Well, not only in this season, but the series as a whole. I mean, there's some good stuff, not even from him, but from Hagman and from Bel Geddes as well. Yeah, they really came. I mean, there was a lot of emotion, especially, I mean, take the the breakfast scene on the mm-hmm. breakfast patio, which I've still always 
will always want a breakfast patio, but he tries to, he almost comes across as sincere when he says, I'm sorry, I said those mean words to you. And then sure enough, as soon as he realizes she's not changing her mind, that veneer just drops. Mm -hmm. And And it's a physical change. And Hagman does a great job of sort of not letting on to people that he's being manipulative. I mean, you get uh, like uh, when he was talking to uh, I can't remember his name. He was talking to the guy on the Energy Commission saying about, do you want these uh, this area of land? And he was offering up to him. There was that little hint in his eyes that Hagman can produce that he's being devious. But otherwise, you know, he looks completely sincere. And that's one of the great things about Hagman in the show is he you know that he's a complete and utter scumbag. But he pulls it off as so charming and so deceptive. It's just glorious. Yes, it is. Uh, On the other end of the spectrum, Charlene Tilton's Lucy. I just want her to stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, the character is vapid enough, but Charlene Tilton just kind of phones the lines in. Yeah, she she only really had the sort of one scene. Well, she had the scene with her her mom with Miss Ellie, but then she had that scene by the poolside with I can't remember her name. The stupid. uh, Yes, uh, her friend. Yes, and she was just, she's just an uninteresting character. And I will, the less we have to deal with her character, I'm, I'm fine. Spe- speaking of female characters, I, you know, I'm gonna be kind of sexist, but both uh, Linda Gray, Sue Ellen, and Victoria Principal uh, in those sort of opening shots, uh, where they're, you know, we see the nighttime shots of, of course, uh, Sue Ellen coming out to talk to Jr. in her sort of. Uh, night robe and then uh pamela in in bed man they're just they they got some really attractive women for the show i've got a you know and i'm sorry i'm being sexist on this i try not to be on the show but i just had to mention that because they really sold that up pretty well in this well just to to propagate the misogyny a little bit more as good as they looked especially victoria principal Holly Harwood stood out to me when Jr. came in and confronted her. I mean, she just oozes 80s sex appeal with her crimped hair. And I've had a thing for that actress, Lois Child, since she was Holly Goodhead in Mo- Moonraker. Oh, really? I completely forgot her being in Moonraker. That yep. That's an awesome little piece there and some James Bond action. But yeah, that scene was great as well. There was a lot of innuendo thrown around that scene, especially, you know, Jr. saying or her saying to Jr. that, you know, there are oil... You know as well as I do that there are oil deals are made in the bedroom as well as the boardroom. Exactly, something to that effect. Exactly as many oil. Yeah, that was just very clever, and the Jr.'s reaction to it is touche, and he he gets the innuendo, and he also pulls on it as well, saying that she's probably having something to do with her sort of cutesy uh, male secretary as well, and he comments on that. So the. It's just delicious the way that Jr. plays on all of these people and how manipulative. It's wonderful. Well, again, I mean, that's that's the magic of Hagman, that you you like him just because Hagman was a charming man. But Jr. Jr. can do all sorts of horrible things and then come out of it smelling like a rose. You kind of want to see where Hagman takes you. Mm-hmm. I do have to admit, uh, at the beginning of the show, where, uh, and this is one of the things... Punk, the character of Punk, he has the most ridiculous outfits in here. When he comes in to meet with the uh, members of Oil Cartel, 
and with uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and he missed with uh, with Cliff Barnes as well. He just has this thing that he just stepped off like a 1940s Roy Rogers, you know, cowboy shoot 'em up. It's just. It looks I, like something Marty McFly was wearing at the beginning of Back to the Future 3. <laughs> it does. Oh, my. Yeah, you know, now that I think about it, and it it predates, uh, you know, Back to the Future for quite a couple of years. Yes, it but does. It's, it, it's just goofy. But overall, this is just, you know, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, let me. Window. With Ken Kershaw or Cliff. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that the theme for the episode was violence again, Cliff? Really? Like everybody's trying to figure out how to to break this variance, and Cliff is sitting there. Uh, violence, violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it seems that that's his solution to everything. That you know, it, it's his desire to rather than work this out, you know, through sort of business machinations or political scheming or even trying to get the uh, state uh, governance board to stop JR from uh, to stop JR's variance to get him uh, to cut price to selling cut price gasoline. His idea is to go in there and try and start a fight with them. And, it's, and as we saw in the last episode, that doesn't do anything except embolden the Ewing clan to fight against them. So yeah, Cliff is not really thinking very not really thinking very well by trying to go up against uh, the Ewings by, you know, trying to punch them out. No. <laughs> and plus, uh, there's something that busted me up when he's looking at the condo. It, the place has blue carpet, and somehow that tacky condo, I looked at him like, yeah, that fits. Well, it it is definitely a very 80s look. Yes, you know, it even is. with this sort of, uh, what is it, that, you know, sort of step up area to the... Uh, you know, the sort of, I guess, the recessed floor where mm-hmm. you step up and then go to the next level and all that. It's it's just, it screams of the 1980s. But, you know, obviously this is when it's set and that's what you get for shows like this. I, I can live with it, but he's also ignoring Afton, which is... I kind of see why, but it, it cracks me up that Afton is such a small part of this episode, yet her run on the show would go on until... Some of the last seasons, she had a long run on this show. Yeah. And it's easy to dismiss her as the ditzy blonde, but she's actually, she will become a much cooler character as time goes on. Well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to more of her character in the show. We didn't really talk all that much about Miss Ellie. And I think she puts in a really great performance in this because she's at the beginning of the show. We see her really torn up about the way she's feeling about what the, Will has done to her two sons and how they're having to compete to try and show that they're going to be the best person to run Ewing Oil. And the fact that she has to not only break with her sons, but possibly at the end, even break with her husband, the man that she loved, in order to try and get this change, it it just shows how difficult you know this is going to be. And she she performs beautifully in selling that emotion and selling the hardship that she's going through to try and uh, get this done. It's yeah. It's a great performance by her. The moment where the lawyer explains that to contact, to contest the will, they have to look at Jock's mental competency and the look on Miss Ellie's face is just, it's like a stab to the knee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she really does a great, 
great job of selling the emotion because you know she you know jock was her love it was she was love and she just is torn up by all of this and to be told by her lawyer well not by her lawyer the one that uh the one that clayton recommended to her is got to be you know the the that that lawyer says you know you're going to have to call into contest that your husband might not have been mentally competent just breaks her up and it's really really a good job of selling that kind of emotional heartbreak that she has well it is funny that clayton recommended the lawyer because i mean clayton was sitting there making buffalo eyes at miss ellie i don't Mm -hmm. i don't want to spoil too much ahead but uh that'll play out oh yeah well and i think people you know granted this show is what like almost 30 years old now I think people should know that, yeah, Clayton does become a little bit more of a factor in the Ewan clan, uh, a little bit more down the line. But uh, for me, uh, I don't know if you have any more. The one thing I want to talk about kind of is the last scene with Jr. addressing the media. And I love this because this is kind of pressing it to sort of what we have today. If you are a powerful figure or a media figure, if you can get the power of the media behind you, you can do amazing things. And Jr. realizes this. Jr. realizes if he can get the media behind him, get the media supporting him, it doesn't matter what the government does. It doesn't matter what the state government does. It doesn't matter what these variance boards do. If he can get the media to support him and get the people to believe in what he's doing, he will be able to control what's going on, and he will be able to win this battle between him and Bobby. And I think Hagman's performance in those that last scene, that last little thing about you can trust me, it was almost presidential. Yes, it I was. It. <laughs> but this this episode was was full of a lot of subtlety. I mean, you have Pam and Bobby at odds, which. Pam and Bobby being dragged into Ewing's problems. That's been present since the pilot. There were scenes like uh, Sue Ellen and, and JR having that talk. And for as much as they cheat and lie and try to kill each other, there is actually still a love there at this point. Mm -hmm. It may be a bit of a harsh love. I think uh, you saw in that scene with uh, with Clayton where uh, he was talking with Mess Ellie and JR and Pam or JR and Sue Ellen come in there. And uh, talked to her. You could see that Jr. was kind of not really misogynistic, but kind of overbearing with Sue Ellen. Mm -hmm. But you do see that there is a relationship, there that there is a a bond between them. So yeah, I can see that. But uh, I, I was actually—it's funny. This episode just perfectly timed itself. I was talking on my Knots Landing blog about the relationship between the brothers, and essentially I was comparing it to dogs where. JR was the dog that he's kind of the alpha male. He's going to pee on it. It's his. Bobby is the one that will challenge that, but back off. And then Gary is the one that just, well, doesn't even try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Gary. He really didn't get much to do in this episode, aside from, you know, a little complaining in his apartment about, you know, how his brothers were going after each other and how he was glad to be out of it. But yeah, overall I thought this was a great episode. You know, it was a nice, it was a nice follow up from, you know, the barbecue episode, which we've had a couple of episodes of that, you know, throughout the seasons. And I'm looking forward to see what, you know, Miss Ellie is going to do, how uh, this variance is going to help JR and how Bobby's going to deal uh, with uh, trying to 
sell, you know, he's going to try and sell more cut rate oil and trying to get the refineries to help on his side. It's looking to be a great show, you know, a great couple of uh, shows coming down the line. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. And this was just, it just, it seems to be snowballing in awesomeness. Mm -hmm. I cannot say enough good about this. But if you're willing to uh, take a little break here, we'll go ahead and call this the end of the Dallas episode. And uh, we'll put a little promo, a couple of promos in here, take a little break. And when we come back, I will uh, do my coverage of uh, the Dynasty episode this time out. Sounds good to me. Grom, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo Akachin figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out. It's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at 2TrueFreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the 2 True Freaks Network. Duh. Calabac, Tassad, it is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the super friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Ditchwick, and Arisian, Woozy Weeks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him! He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. All right, everyone, and we are back. And it's this time out, it is my turn to take a look at the Dynasty episode. And it was episode number 49 in the series, and it was entitled Samantha. It aired on December 29th of 1982 on ABC. It was written by Edward de Bla- Sorry, I keep getting his name wrong. Edward D. Blasio and Ellen and Robert Pollock, with credit going to creators at Esther and Richard Shapiro as well. The director at this time out was Bob Sweeney, and the cast included John Forsythe as Blake Carrington, Linda Evans as Crystal Carrington, Pamela Sue Martin as Fallon Carrington, Colby, Gordon Thompson as Adam Carrington, Jeffrey Scott as Mark Jennings, Heather Locklear as Sammy Joe. Wait, sorry, make that Samantha Carrington. Gotta get it right. She'll tell you when you're wrong. Uh, she's, uh, I'll have something to say about her. And as always, Joan Collins as Alexis Carrington Colby. 
And the synopsis comes from the source of all internet knowledge, Wikipedia. It kind of goes like this. Blake continues his search for Stephen through means of a psychic medium, although no one else has much hope. To try and win Blake's favor, Adam feigns support for him. Blake refuses to, to attend the memorial service Alexis arra has arranged for Stephen, and after Crystal rejects Mark's advances, Alexis seduces him, because Alexis is a whore. Fallon mends fences with Crystal, Sammy Joe comes back to the Carrington Mansion with a surprise, Stephen's son Danny. And, you know, that's the sort of 10,000-foot view of Dynasty. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and uh, head out with some of the notes. Uh, first of all, I know I've mentioned it before in the show, but there is a boatload of suggestive imagery in the opening credits that is not very subtle at all. And I think this is why I like the Dallas credits a little more than this, because Dynasty feels a lot more daytime soap opery than... Dallas does. There's a lot more goofy things going on, and I think the opening credits really show that with with the images of you know a guy, you know what Adam to one side, and then the champagne bottle opening and fluid spilling out of that. I think you know <laughs> what that is. Then you've got uh, you've got Mark, the tennis pro, and showing the tennis ball kind of hitting, and then. Uh, there are people skiing down a ample white slope while an image of Samantha is on the screen. So it just just figure it out. There's too much innuendo in the opening to, to really make me all that much seriously interested in it. I well, mean, it and doesn't I stop at the opening, though. If you ever look at Blake's desk, there's a decoration of sorts that looks like a, a pair of, of breasts. I'm going to have to go and check that out again. I've... Yes. <laughs> it's been there the whole time, but I didn't notice it till this episode. Oh, my Lord. But yeah, there's... That's the difference between these two shows. They're both good in their own rights, but Dynasty definitely has that feel. They're going for that feel of let's do the most ridiculous things that soap operas could do on a bigger budget, on a nighttime TV budget rather than a daytime TV budget. And I think for what it is, uh, that's a good thing. And specifically, that comes in on the idea of bringing a psychic in to find your dead son. Not only your dead son, but your dead gay son. <laughs> I love my... Sorry, I had to throw a Heather's reference in there. That's always always good to throw a Heather's reference yeah, in. Why not have a psychic? I mean, down the road on Days of Our Lives, Marlena's going to be possessed by Satan. So this is just a nice way to open the door. Oh, that's true. Well, you know, and it's not uncommon for satanic possession to be found in soap operas at all. I, I know you're not a big fan of Passions. I used to watch that when it was out. And I know there were just witchcraft and the little kid with the with the doll in there. I thought, oh, that was all just kind of creepiness. But it, it's done to be semi-serious here. And I don't mind it so much. I think, I think the fact that Forsyth performs the character of Blake uh, Carrington so well that I think it comes off pretty well throughout the show. Uh, it doesn't have that level of unreality. Well, that's that's the charm of John Forsythe. I mean, he's not quite as, as devious as Larry Hagman, but Forsythe has that voice, and his voice could convince me of anything. And he even looks more frazzled than you'd normally see with Blake. Uh, makeup falls a little short, but definitely you can see that he is 
he is in this role in this episode. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he is the only standout performance in this episode. Yeah. I would say that Joan Collins as Alexis, you know, she does her typical best. But however, you know, I do have to mention the seduction scene. And, and, <laughs> and again, you know, credit to Joan Collins. I think she does a good job of kind of masking her deviousness a lot like Hagman does in Dallas. But she's just such an out and out whore that it's awful. And that the scene between her and Mark, where she's in the hotel room trying to apologize for all the wrongs that she's done for trying to bring him back into Crystal's life is just it just feels icky. And the fact that I know in the next couple of episodes they're going to have an affair well, they, they obviously had an affair in this yes. episode because they got busy on those crunchy hotel sheets. Ah. Yeah. Mark, uh, man, Mark. Um, for what, let me talk a bit about Mark while we're here. For one thing, he looks like the brawny guy. <laughs> See, I understand why Crystal's marriage to him failed because I wouldn't know whether to marry him or buy paper towels. Yes. And then you have that scene where he tells off Alexis. It's filled with the rage and intensity of Billy Mays on a Coke bender. It's over the top. It's all over the place. <laughs> and then you get to the, the seduction scene. And like as soon as you get the knock at the door, you see his, I swear, his mustache wiggles like Ralph Dibney's nose. Except that ain't a mystery of blowing in the wind. <laughs> yeah. And the fact, that, the fact that he does have the look of pretty much any male actor from a 1980s Swedish erotica <laughs> film just doesn't help in any way, shape, or form. And the line that he gives when Alexis, you know, does her little pouty crying thing and sits on the bed, you know, when a woman cries and starts to tremble, that's what a man does. And I just can hear the the sort of 70s waka chicka music in the yes. background, you know, building up before they start undressing and you know, coating each other with their own fluids. Uh, and I know, I know, uh, telling somebody their son is dead and reminding of that, it seems to work in singles bars across the nation. <laughs> but it's kind of the Connor McLeod approach, because every time he would reveal that he's immortal, things happen. Uh, that's true. Yeah, women's women's panties would drop whenever he would uh, t- tell them that, yes, hey, <laughs> I can live to be, you know, I, I can live forever. You know, so, yeah. You hear that sound? That's the sound of ovaries dropping. <laughs> Do we want to get in, you know, because I really don't have all that many notes on this episode. Do we want to get into Sammy Joe or, oh, not Sammy Joe, Samantha coming back? Sammy Joe, you trifling whore. (laughs) Oh, my God. She is such a see you next Tuesday in this in this episode. You know, first of all, I do have to I do have to comment on this when she's uh, when we first see her, she's at the gas station filling up. $14.85 $14.85 to fill up. God, I love the 80s. I <laughs> so, you know, $14, I, you know, my my lawnmower, it takes $14 to fill it up. <laughs> well, she's kind of driving a glorified yeah, lawnmower, so it's only yeah, got a three-gallon tank. That's the Yeah, it, it, it did look like one of those uh, sort of, uh, it looked like a Ford Pinto or one of those AMC Pacers or something like that. But yeah, um, she's just a complete and utter in this episode and the bombshell that she drops at the end that she and Steven had a child together now this I don't really get because I thought Steven had proclaimed his homosexuality or was he just trying to 
Go ahead. Yeah, he, he, he ended up for going straight for a while. He was always conflicted. Uh, see, I don't like that. And maybe, you know, in this time period, you know, when the show was being when the show was being filmed, the idea of someone being homosexual, being able to change or wanting to change was reasonable. But nowadays it just feels it just feels out of place. But, you know, her coming in and dropping the bombshell that she and Steven have, you know, had a kid. And in a way that does play into what the psychic told uh, Blake about, uh, you know, Steven being around, that he could sense Steven being wrapped in bandages and uh, not being able to speak. And, you know, when we get the reveal of the baby... You know, that kind of sets Blake off and says, oh, well, that must be what the psychic was uh, talking about. Uh. Or, <laughs> or or was it? And this will be something that, you know, again, you know, spoilers, we don't want to talk about, but something that might be coming up in uh, in some uh, subsequent episodes. So, yeah, um, I don't know. I don't have that much more notes about this aside from, you know, God, the women in the show are just whores. <laughs> Yeah, Alexis and her vagina, they seem to draw <laughs> men in and drive them away. I uh, I actually have quite a few kind of rapid-fire notes real quick. Go ahead. Um, Fallon comes to visit Blake early on, and it looks like he's taking a siesta on like the little couch there, and he's basically taking the O.J. Simpson approach to investigating. Uh, nope, not in this sand trap. You know, he's just <laughs> laid back. Um, how How fast did the memorial service get thrown together? I mean, memorial services are kind of tricky to plan and it's like oh it's today yeah Wait, were you just talked about that an hour ago well and you know i i think it does help that it's the carrington you know memorial chapel as well so you know they've got their own little uh you know religious place to have <laughs> meetings maybe they just have this you know ready for any particular time oh whenever a carrington dies you know we've got a uh, stock you know, script to read from, and we just, you know, swipe out the names instead of, instead of Steven, oh, it's Adam or it's Fallon or whatever. So yeah, I guess they could work that out. I uh, lost a bet that Alexis would burst into flames upon entering the church, but. <laughs> uh, well, you know, they, they can't, they can't cut her head off in the church because, you know, <laughs> it's on hollowed ground. Um, <laughs> uh, the psychic kind of, yes, it all comes back to Highlander. <laughs> the psychic kind of giving up oddly showed some dignity for that guy because I don't think Dion Warwick her psychic friends or Madame Cleo would stop milking Blake for all he's worth on that one no and I like the fact that uh, that Crystal at the beginning basically calls him on it and says look you're I think you're here for the money and I don't like what you're doing but then we get Adam who's you know being a manipulative douche and trying to make sure that Blake keeps using the psychic saying, you know, that I saw, I saw them do wonders in Montana. <laughs> what? <laughs> Shut up, Adam. You're such an ass. Yes. Um, the scene that really did come out as a standout scene for me, well, one of two Fallon trying to make some kind of amends with crystal. is actually kind of touching. Like I actually got the feeling that she wasn't being a manipulative whore. She was actually trying to, reach out a little mm -hmm. and that's a big step forward from where this show started yeah i agree i think you've kind of got to think that there might not be you know from all we've seen in fallon throughout the show you don't really feel that this is sincere but i think she pulls it off just enough in that one scene between her and crystal that you could believe it and 
it's the death of her brother. And there's a lot going on with her father's life. And, you know, maybe you could think for just one moment that she is dropping the idea of just being such a manipulative whore that she's trying to connect with her stepmother now. So, yeah. <laughs> but I like that scene. And, of course, the baby. First thing I thought is I would get a DNA check sat. Mm-hmm. Stat, sorry. Oh, yes. Yes. The, you want to find, you know, you want to contest the validity of uh, Samantha's words because especially the way she treats Crystal at the end of that is just like, well, I may not stay. And we, you know, I'm going to give a little bit of spoilers. You know, the Samantha really does try and pull the Carrington apart with this baby in the next episode. And we will, we'll see what's going on with that. But yeah. Oh, you need to find out, you know, I don't know what DNA testing or what kind of testing it can do, but they need to at least find out that Steven is the father of this baby or otherwise they need to kick Samantha to the curb quick. They might be surprised. Um, spoiler, sorry. <laughs> and of course, like when he brings it in, everybody else in the room's like, uh, Blake, are you sure about this? But Blake, you know, this paterfamilias industry building tycoon, he can't see the forest for the blue eyes and feathered hair. <laughs> oh my god there is some feathered hair yeah heather thomas uh <laughs> my my hope is eventually that william shatner as tj hooker will just smack some sense into her or heather Lockyer. <laughs> i called her heather thomas that's the fall guy Why am yes I, i'm <laughs> crossing my heathers from 80s tv shows oh well um and finally just one random note for crystal it, it made me realize that the baby would be both her stepson and her nephew yeah, now that I think about that, that is kind of, kind of creepy. Well, but, you know, in the, in the world of soap opera lives, you know, having relationships that are, you know, convoluted like this is not all that uncommon. So I'll no. give it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that overall, Dallas was a better episode this time out. You know, yeah, that seems to have been a, be a theme. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> well, like I said at the beginning, you know, Dynasty feels like a daytime soap opera. Dallas feels like a nighttime drama. You know, you could put Dallas up against, uh, you know, I want to, you know, one of the other shows that I watch a lot was Law and Order. You could put it up, you know, it's a different show because it's a police procedural, but the drama in Dallas feels more akin to actual drama shows. Well, the drama in Dynasty feels like, you know, sort of fluffy, superfluous, uh, daytime soap opera stuff. So they're two different they're two different genres here, but they're both enjoyable. But just this time out, I think Dallas was the more engaging one for me. And it's it's playing on the theme of family in a different way. And it really I mean it it was a I mean anybody that's had siblings can kind of relate to the Dallas episode. Mm-hmm. I've I've never had a dead gay son or have his you know blue eyed wife show up with a baby. So I, I'm I'm a little at a loss there. Well, <laughs> thankfully for that, I, that would be kind of. Uh disturbing yes (laughs) um what we're gonna do now is what we do every time is take a look at what was going on in pop culture at the time thanks to mrpopculture.com this uh, is what was happening in the week of the uh, shows coming out and in the news just before a going home on holiday senators smash a conservative filibuster and pass president reagan's nickel a gallon gas tax hmm kind of relates into the show uh, Reagan says, I applaud Congress for the bipartisan support to assure the goods and transit systems are safe, efficient, and in good repair. And the measure is expected to cost the average motorist $30 a year. Holy 
cow, $30 a year, that's almost a half a tank of gas right now. That's an upgrade. <laughs> the Supreme Court serfs notice that federal bankruptcy judges no longer will have legal authority to act after this week, leaving the system in limbo. Law experts say that the most financially strapped individuals who declare bankruptcy will not be affected. Again, something resonant to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Folsom prisoner Alfonso Gutierrez jumps to his death from his fifth-tier Folsom prison cell block after hearing that his wife, also a prisoner, is captured after attempted escape at, the, at a woman's prison. Gutierrez, in prison for attempted murder and multiple robberies, came despondent after receiving a letter from his life, a letter from his wife, informing him of the bad news. And you know, as a, as you are a fan of the Man in Black, I'm certain the uh, Folsom prison is a place that you're very fondly uh, knowledgeable of. Yeah, he had the Folsom Prison Blues. <laughs> <laughs> he tried He tried to go for the wall, for those that listen to at Folsom Prison. Anyway, <laughs> a burglar enters skater Dorothy Hamill's room at the elegant Pacific Plaza Hotel in San Francisco and makes off with $500,000 worth of her custom-made jewelry. Wow. 500000 Taken in the burglary were 20 rings, 10 earrings, 6 necklaces, and 3 watches. We are looking for the suspect who came into the room, told the maid it was his room, and that he wanted privacy. Well, of course she'd want some privacy. You're stealing $500,000 worth of jewelry. Oh. I didn't know there was that much money in figure skating. <laughs> I, need to re- I need to rethink my life. Well, it is Dorothy Hamill, and she was pretty popular at this time, so you can you know, maybe cut her some slack a bit. Some of the best-selling books for this uh, week were Master of the Game by Sidney Shelton, the E.T. storybook, oh. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't the uh, E.T., uh, the Green Planet one, though. But I think William Kotzwinkel was the same one who wrote that. Yeah. Uh, and more by Andy Rooney, by, of course, Andy Rooney, and the One Minute Manager by Kenneth Blanchard, or, sorry, Kenneth. Yeah, oh. Kenneth Blanchard and Spencer Johnson. They, they removed the A. I don't know why. I have no idea. Uh, let's see. Anything good on the business news? Oh, yeah. Toxic shock syndrome. Okay. Oh, yeah. As far as fascinating business news, in San Jose, Lynette West wins a $10.5 million judgment against Johnson & Johnson. West almost died from toxic shock syndrome after using the company's OB tampons. West offered to settle for $150,000 before the trial, but Johnson & Johnson refused the offer. Ooh. Yep. Really? They could have gotten off for $150,000 and then she could have given that to Dorothy Hamill to buy more jewelry. <laughs> Oh, now she can afford more jewelry. Okay. That's true. But yeah, this, I think this was, uh, this is a pretty groundbreaking child at the time because now, uh, if you, you know, I'm certain you have your wife and, uh, God forbid you've had to do what I've had to do and go out and buy these things for your wife. But yeah, now, uh, this, uh, led to pretty much all tampons having, uh, a warning label saying that the toxic shock syndrome could be a, uh, a problematic factor in using these things. So, yeah, this is obviously a pretty uh, pretty important lawsuit here. Uh, in technology news, uh, IBM bought a 12% stake in Intel, its largest customer. IBM says that it could purchase as much as 30% of the company's outstanding shares and seek one seat on the Intel's board as an IBM nominee. So we see the uh, computer tech uh, industry sort of merging with IBM and Intel buying out, and I think eventually Intel would sort of buy out IBM, if I'm recalling. I thought Intel became the uh, the the big sort of in, uh, computer market leader then. For a while, yeah. Until Microsoft came along. Mm. Yes, now Microsoft owns us all. <laughs> in fact, it, it owns the uh, company that we're using to communicate today. So. Yes, it does. 
Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. In entertainment news, uh, Jack Webb passed away. You'd remember him as Sergeant Friday on Dragnet. Uh, Webb was talking about Sergeant Friday as being a neutral character. No religion, no childhood, no educational background, no war record, no personal side at all. And unfortunately, Dan Aykroyd would take that role and do the exact same thing as a parody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love the old episodes of Dragnet. And uh, I've actually been listening to... I've got satellite radio, and there is a station called Radio Classics. And every once in a while, they will play episodes, radio episodes of Dragnet. And Jack Webb would narrate those. And he's he's just got a great voice for radio. And the Dragnet shows were also always awesome. And uh, the fact that they were kind of sort of culled from the uh, case files of the, what was it, the Los Angeles Police Department? Yes. Were always just you know, it, it was just a fun little show. And I remember I, watching the, the TV show on Nick at Night. And it was really good. Mm-hmm. And and Jack Webb is one of those characters who's just very sincere. He's just a, a wonderful forthright actor. And I, 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 I you know, it's it's kind of sad to hear that he passed. Yeah, I thought he lived. I thought he was alive until the late 80s. But yeah, well, sad. Oh, he did. He wasn't around to see the Dan Aykroyd Tom Hanks movie. So that might be a mercy. Mm, I would. I would have to agree with you there. Uh, Jerry Lewis, at age 56, recuperates from double bypass heart surgery. Lewis had suffered a crisis before the operation, and doctors had to pound his chest to bring him around. Hopefully he wasn't doing this in a uh, French country. <laughs> I'll <life> and... <laughs> uh, If only. <laughs> uh, for the fifth year in a row, Burt Reynolds is voted the number one box office star in the country by Quigley Publications. From number two on was Sylvester Stallone, Dudley Moore, Richard Pryor, Dolly Parton, what? Jane Fonda, <laughs> Richard Gere, Paul Newman, and Harrison Ford. You know, I can see Richard Pryor because he was kind of having an upsurgence with uh, the re- release of The Toy. I think that was his big movie with Jackie Gleason. And he was, uh, I think his comedy specials were starting to air on HBO. Dolly Parton, I'm uh, Dolly Parton and Jane Fonda, I don't know if this was the time when... 9 to 5 was starting to get traction, or I can't remember when 9 to 5 came out, but that might be why they're on this list as well. But you can understand, you know, I can understand Stallone, Paul Newman, Richard Gere, and Harrison Ford, but Dudley Moore? I double-checked that 9 to 5 did come out in 1980. Dudley Moore had Arthur at this time. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, that that give him a bit of popularity. Top Nielsen shows, this is going to be good. Of course, <laughs> number one, was our favorite Dallas with a 26.2 following that, you know, 60 minutes mash, which was, you know, again, very popular. The movie, Oh God, George Burns, I guess. I don't know what they don't give what station that aired on, but you know, Oh God with George Burns and uh, the, the unfortunate uh, untimely John Denver, the unfortunate uh, untimely uh, Rocky mountain high death of John Denver. Uh, the chip. <laughs> Sorry. 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 No, that was I, good. I, I, you know, I love Jen Denver songs, but, you know, dying in an experimental plane crash, you doof. <laughs> um, the Chipmunk Christmas with a 22.6 rating beat out an episode of Love Boat. The Chipmunk Christmas? Really? But People then, love chipmunks. Uh, but then, of course, there comes, you know, the show that we're probably going to have to do after we do, after we finish this series up. Well, maybe I'll leave that for you and Lee. <laughs> we'll be 80 by the time we finish this. <laughs> of course, it is the the ever awesome Tom Selleck and his mustache, Magnum P.I. 
shortest shorts on the planet <laughs> then next was the movie i was a mail order bride <laughs> was the lifetime channel actually on the air at this time what the not hell yeah this is before they had a channel to stack all those on oh, good Lord. this is the pool that they pull from now lovely uh after this falcon crest one day at a time or on day at a time as they've got printed here <laughs> Dynasty came in after that, New Heart, the Barbara Walters special. I'm wondering if this was around the time of, you know, her sort of 10 best or 10 most influential people of the year. That's usually what she does around this time. Yeah. Uh, Jefferson's, then the Smurfs Christmas, because nothing says, you know, the birth of Jesus like little blue three apple high creatures. Sure. Monday Night Football, Real People, Simon and Simon, another great show, Three's Company, and finding finally running... Rounding it out, Hill Street Blues. Be careful out there. <laughs> uh, television news. There was an ad scene. If you have cable, ask for the Satellite News Channel. News 24 hours a day. Give us 18 minutes, we'll give you the world. Well, those are a dime a dozen now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now there's like, you know, half a dozen news channels. I'm wondering if if this was the precursor to CNN, because I don't think CNN came along till like the mid-80s. So this might just be one of those sort of failed news networks that just really didn't get any traction. After that, we've got uh, Thomas Riley, who portrays Officer Bobby Hot Dog uh, Nelson, the new bike buddy of Officer Poncherello on Chips, played by the ever-awesome Eric Estrada, is arrested by Chips officers for drunk driving in California. Off- <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> ironic. <laughs> Chips officer gets Arrested by chips officers. Officers also found a Quaalude tablet in Riley's 1997 Cadillac. Wow, Quaaludes in the 1980s. Who would have thought? And then and then finally, we've got uh, Friday Night Television listings. Uh, do you want to talk about any of these? Yes, Leonard Nimoy is, is slated to team up with William Shatner for an episode of TJ Hooker, which ties into our episode because of Heather Locklear. Mm-hmm. Instead of friends, they'll play antagonists in The Vengeance is Mine, which... Now that we know more about that relationship and, and behind the scenes of Star Trek, do you think they really had to reach for that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it wasn't such an acting stretch for either of the characters on the show. <laughs> um, do you want uh, the top uh, forty music? The top forty singles of the time, of course. Number one was Mickey, Lionel Richie with Truly, Hall and Oates with Maneater. Yes. Yes, I love Hollow Notes. Gloria by Laurie Branigan. Muscles. Muscles by Dan and Ross. I don't, I don't remember, remember that. that at all. Yeah. <laughs> Heart Light, again, you know, with the E.T. theme by Neil Diamond. Stepping Out by Joe Jackson. That's an awesome song. Rock This Town by the Stray Cats. It's Raining Again by Supertramp. Again, that's a song that I don't know. And I, I, I know Supertramp pretty well. Heart Attack. I don't know that I would brag about that. <laughs> well... Hey, I'm doing a Dallas Dynasty podcast. Okay, I'm bragging about that. <laughs> Heart Attack by Olivia Newton-John. Always awesome. Shadows of the Night, Pat Benatar. Again, Bat right. Benatar. I love Pat Benatar. Uh, Southern Cross. Uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash were in the top 40. They were still around. <laughs> I thought they were dead. Uh, <laughs> I only. I guess I only wished. Uh, love Me Tomorrow by Chicago. Oh, this was the, this was before 17 came out. Yeah, this was uh, this might have been off sixteen, I think. 
Uh, Missing You by Dan Fogelberg. I thought Missing You was by John Wade. Different different song. Okay. Different songs. <laughs> and I-G-Y, What a Beautiful World by Donald Fagan. Again, never heard of it. Blank Slate. Yeah. Uh, top Movies. The Verdict with Paul Newman, Charlotte Rampling, Jack Warden, and James Mason. The Toy. Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason, which you mentioned earlier. Not mm-hmm. racist at all. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, the thing is, I loved... One of my favorite comedic movies of all time is Blazing Saddles. And Richard Pryor was one of the writers behind that. And he was able to put racism in context in this movie. In The Toy, not so much. Not so much, no. Also, Tootsie. Very wonderful movie with Dustin Hoffman, Jessica Lange, and Terry Garr. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they, they forgot to mention Bill Murray as well. Anytime you can mention Bill Murray in a film, it's awesome. Anytime you can mention Bill Murray anywhere. True. Apparently, he just wanders around and crashes parties and gives fatherly advice. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't there a, a thing on the internet a while back that somewhat that Bill Murray came up to a person and took a photo with him and, you know, told him that your friends will never believe that this happened to you or something like he, that? He was at Wendy's, apparently, and took a fry off of his tray. and was like, your friends will he, never believe this. Yes. That's what happened. Oh, God but, love you, Mr. Apparently, he's just a very cool guy. Like, if he'll show up at a party, sometimes he'll jump behind the bar. Um, he's a very good tipper, so all-around good guy. That's awesome. Anyway. I love sh- it. <laughs> um, also, Best Friends with Burt Reynolds and Goldie Hawn. You can skip that one. Mm, and then Kiss the Me Good... No, it's it's not the best pairing. Uh, Kiss Me Goodbye, Sally Field, James Conn, and Jeff Bridges, which I have no knowledge of. Same here. I This must have slipped under my radar. And the fact that it's a top movie this time... But yeah, that ends it for this episode. I Like I said before, Dallas wins out this time. That seems to be a streak so far. But uh, yeah, we're going to be coming back next week uh, with episode 117 of uh, Dallas and the next episode of Dynasty. So we hope you guys will come back for another episode of Just 1% of the Guys, a Dallas Dynasty podcast. Until then, have a good weekend, everyone. You've been listening to Just 1% of the Guys, a Dallas Dynasty podcast hosted by me, Sean Ingle, and me, J. David Weeder. The homepage for the show can be found at the Two True Freaks website located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, links to the back episodes, and a plethora of other fine quality podcasts. Also on the homepage is a donation button, which you can click and leave a donation for this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks shows. No donation is too big or too small. And when you donate, be sure to mention what show you're donating to, and we'll be sure to give you a huge shout-out on our next episode. Also, also on the homepage is a link to Amazon.com. If you use the Amazon link at 2TrueFreaks.com, every purchase you make at Amazon will credit a small portion of your purchase price back to the website. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it makes sure you get some amazing merchandise from Amazon, as well as making sure the lights stay on here at 2TrueFreaks. Aside from our love of these two supreme soaps, both Dave and I do some other podcasts. I host Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, and I co-host Who Chew Freaks, a Doctor Who podcast, Walking Dead Wednesday, a Walking Dead podcast, and The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, a horror podcast, which can all be found at the Two True Freaks website. And I host Dave's Daredevil podcast over at daredevilpodcast.com. I also cover Superman team-up tales appearing in DC Comics Presents over on Superman in the Bronze Age as well, at least while it lasts. Did you like what you heard on the show? 
why not tell everyone about it by posting a review on iTunes. It helps promote the show and gives us some fun reads to add for our feedback episodes. The characters, stories, images, and music used in this show are copyright to their respective copyright holders, as we make no money from doing this podcast. There is no infringement intended. In other words, please don't sue us, as we have neither Ewing nor Carrington levels of cash. Thanks everyone for listening, and come back next week for another episode of Just 1% of the Guys, a Dallas Dynasty podcast. Not you. Why? What, why is iTunes popping up? I didn't push iTunes. <laughs> <laughs>